0: Welcome to After the Act, a film podcast where we talk about movies and shows that we've watched. We are your hosts. I am Randy, here with... Mr. LaBelle. And today we will be discussing Ready or Not, a film directed by Matt Bettinelli, I believe. Um, Horror comedy that came out, what, August, July or so? Um... I think about yeah. August. Something that wasn't in my on my radar at all this year. I didn't know this movie existed until I saw the trailers a couple months prior. But uh yeah, it looked interesting and we'll just start off by giving our overall thoughts. So uh Mr. Labelle, what do you think?
1: Well, first of all, they all had it coming. <laughs> uh just you know, just in case you guys were all wondering, that hard hitting question is we made an agreement, they broke it, things happen, but I am not liable for any of it. <laughs> Uh, but in terms of the the review, I have to say this movie honestly came out of nowhere for me. I wasn't ex- I I didn't hear anything about it. I only saw it as a trailer in theaters when I went to go see a different film, which I think was Midsummer. Um, so I didn't know anything about it. But one thing I did notice from the trailers was that it had a pretty interesting atmosphere because it looked like the whole thing took place in a 1920s or 30s style mansion and I only knew the premise was survive hide and seek Uh, but just from that it intrigued me I went to go see this movie and honestly it was a delight it was a pleasant surprise I guess is the best way to say it Uh, all the characters were pretty interesting actually Uh, Samar Weaving obviously being the the main protagonist of the film Uh, she did a fantastic job I saw her in The Babysitter that Netflix movie that I think came out like two years ago. Um, that was my first viewing of her. But she uh man, she she just has great energy when she's acting in her roles. Uh it just makes you kind of want to root for her and, and hope she pulls through in the end. Even in the babysitter. I know she was the, the antagonist in that one, and I thought she was I thought she was great. But um, you know, we had some other some notable actors in there. You had Adam Brody who plays the the drunk brother. Um and you had Andy McDowell, who uh, plays the mom. But uh, yeah, this this whole movie was tense from start to finish. Uh, there wasn't a moment in it where I started to get bored. Uh, I think they do a fantastic job of building a cre- creepy atmosphere. Um, despite this being more of a slasher movie, they have uh, an air of paranormal activity to it in the background. Just kind of creeping along and just adding to the, the intensity of everything. Uh, and I would say final thoughts on just non-spoiler stuff. Um, I really, (laughs) I really loved the song they made for the hide and seek game. Uh, I thought it was really creepy, incredibly scary. And, uh, yeah, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a dull moment in this film whatsoever, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I would say one of my favorite horror movies of 2019 for sure. Uh, but what about you, man? What, what what was your impression of Ready or Not?
0: Yeah, no, all fair stuff. Um, I really like this movie, surprisingly. You know, I felt like a movie based off of a children's game, hide and seek, could be a little bit corny, could be a little bit boring. But I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, well, oh, this looks kind of funny. Um, it has this, it's very dark comedy. It's a horror comedy. And when horror comedies are done right for me, I really like them. You know, movies like Cabin in the Woods or Shaun of the Dead, they just kind of really strike a good chord with me. Um, this movie did just that. It had a good amount of tension with the fairly unique premise, actually, of um, a woman married into a family and then um, questionable, horrific games ensue from there. But it's all done hilariously. It's They have really good comedic timing. I think the way they just go about nonchalantly as this is part of a family tradition, you know. It plays on the whole, you know, in-laws can be a bitch kind of thing in a really funny way. But at the same time, the, the lead um, actress, she's just a badass. She just increasingly becomes this badass in this movie that you just can't wait to see what happens next. Um, yeah, they have this really interesting lore going on in the movie, too. That's, you know, it's it's played pretty nicely. It's you want to kind of know if what the family is trying to do is real or not. And you're just with this character the entire way. And yeah, it's it was definitely one of my favorite movies of the summer. Surprisingly, on um, radio ready or not um, a killer game of hide and seek. Who knew that would actually work as a movie? Um but yeah, I definitely like this.
1: I mean, to be yeah. Oh, I was just going to say just to be fair. Uh what was it? Last year we got Tag, which is also based off of a a
0: child's <laughs> game or a children's game. Got tag so with Ed Helms and Hannibal Burrows. John Hamm.
1: Yeah, it was a good back it was a good back-to-back. We got the comedy tag last year and then this year we got the horror uh, hide and seek movie, ready or not.
0: Yep, yeah, that's fair. What next year we might have like I don't know. Jumping Pe- rope? Peekaboo. You have to keep jumping rope or die. Hopscotch. Hop yep. <laughs> Land on the wrong number, you just kind of get melted or something. Hey, I'm with it because this movie worked. Tag was okay. But uh, I really like Ready or Not. Um, it's just an entertaining movie. Um, when we had our It Chapter 2 review, I mentioned that was an entertaining movie, but that was like, at a pick, which parts are entertaining. This movie, just from start to finish, it was bloody, it was gory, it was hilarious, it was shocking, it was revealing, it had good twists throughout the movie. Um, really solid flick. Definitely recommend it. Um I think actually even the likes of like R. L. Stein and Stephen King, they all like had positive tweets about this movie too. Which is always good if you can get those guys to say they loved your movie too. Um, especially for a horror comedy, which could either be really corny or great and this is definitely on the great side of that spectrum um but yeah i'm pretty interested in diving in some of these details anything else before we get into spoilers
1: yeah i just wanted to say i think one of the things that really worked for this film too was it was just kind of an interesting premise i feel like a lot of no no, i feel recently you see a lot of you just see things either being remade or reimagined or there are some kind of historical war film At least that's what I found recently um, that's been hitting the cinemas. So very few times do you get something truly original. I think Midsummer was one of those movies this year um, and I think this one was definitely another one. Uh, So I think that's really, I think what intrigued me with the trailer a lot was also the fact that I hadn't seen something like this before um, and I was curious to know how they were going to make a whole movie about such a simple premise like Hide and Seek, but they did a, an amazing job, so I think with that, we should just jump right into uh, spoiler territory
0: All here. All right, let's get it. Spoilers now for ready or Not.
1: In three, two,
0: one.
1: All right, so uh, to, start, to start off, uh, you've kind of elaborated a little bit. You get the family. It starts off with these two boys hiding in the beginning of the movie. And they're running away from something, but you don't know what it is. Um, And then eventually one of the little boys hides his brother in the closet and tells him not to look. And he does so. But then this whole scene ensues after the boy goes in the closet of this man dressed up in a wedding suit uh, or tux, you know, asking for help for the little boy not to say anything. And the little boy doesn't do that. He tells, you know, hey, I found him. And, you know, the man gets killed, and then it's revealed that the person who killed him was this bride in a white dress. And the mother comes up to the little boy afterwards and says, oh, I'm so proud of you, honey. And then that's it. Um, So it already starts off with, like, a really creepy kind of traumatizing moment for two kids that are supposedly innocent. And I think that just it works beautifully for this film because the rest of the tone of the of, of the movie is exactly that. Most of it occurs in the dark, very dim lighting from like either candlelight or flickering lights. Um, and it just adds to that sense of suspense. And I don't want to say this movie is scary. I want to say it's more terror because a lot of the a lot of what makes it scary or creepy is the fact that there is something lurking in the background, but you don't know what it is, and I think that's what makes it truly uneasy when you watch it. Uh, but what about you, man? Like, what did you think of the intro to the movie?
0: Yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good way to start the movie. Um, you know, without seeing trailers, you don't really know what's happening. Um, could just be some, you know, game of hide and seek going on with the kids or the family. But it started off pretty well. Like, you have the. The woman in the family like screaming because her husband's going to be killed by the rest of her family in horror as these kids kind of watch on. And you already get the sense of like, oh, these kids are going to be traumatized and kind of fucked up. Who knows how they're going to turn out when they grow up. Uh, But even the camera work in the intro was pretty cool. Like it was edited in a way where it seemed like this seamless one take as you're following people down the hall as it go to the next corridor, uh, which is a lot of the movie. It just takes place in that mansion following this character around around running in hallways and corridors that she doesn't even know um how to operate yet so it was a cool way they shot it um definitely set the tone in a good way um but yeah this movie it it a lot of movies can sometimes suffer especially if you're blending genres like horror and comedy which almost seems like a way where it genres can't blend well because it can't be too scary if it's funny and it's hard to be funny if you're trying to be scary um but they strike the balance pretty well um and even in this the beginning parts of the wife talking to the husband right before they're officially married in front of their families and it just have a pretty good chemistry i I really like uh samara weaving um i actually haven't seen the babysitter i heard good things about it but Um, I heard good things about her in general, and she's she's just a delight. She kind of turns from, like, this nervous bride to we see her eventually with, like, the ripped gown and covered in dirt and blood and has, like, a fucking axe or something in her hand, just ready to fuck shit up after she realizes the family's trying to kill her. Um, So Her presence alone, like you mentioned, it's not too scary, but it's it's a thrilling movie. It kind of reminded me of uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out. This kind of the tone of this person entering a family and their family being fucked up. It's like a good hyperbolic metaphor um, for in laws. Um, so I thought they did pretty well with that. That's my favorite shot of the movie, I think, actually. It's started with the torn gown, staring at herself in the mirror with sneakers on, with like a weapon in her hand, just ready to fuck shit up.
1: I also really love how believable that transition was in the film because it's not like she immediately becomes a badass. Uh, a good like 10 to 15 minutes of that intro. Uh, intro to the game of hide and seek thing. She starts off really terrified. Uh, she sees, I think, one of the maids get shot in the beginning, um, and she's just like trying her hardest not to panic and breathe too hard when she finally realizes what's about to happen to her or what they're gonna try to do to her. So a lot of that is just her kind of getting recentered and then her flipping the switch, which I think is I thought it was very believable, um, and I think a lot of that goes to Samara Weaving's acting. Uh, just the way she did her facial expressions and she pretended to be someone who was having inner panic attacks momentarily. Um, I thought it was very believable, very well done um, for sure. And I don't know, in terms of just stuff that happens to her, it's also pretty brutal, which I do like because I hate movies where they try. Like, I don't know what this one was rated, if it was R or PG-13. Oh, but, definitely uh, R. If it was PG-13, yeah, it was uh it was definitely very brutal and I wanted to see that because the premise is a brutal one um, and i think that that goes to the fact that like you were saying she gets beaten and battered she's bloody throughout the film it's a matter of fact as the film progresses she only gets bloodier like she gets more beat up as the film goes on which is something I like to see because i, I hate it when movies introduces to a character that is supposedly like having a tough time of whatever is going on and then they like almost perfectly fine towards the end of the film, just a little bruised up maybe. But not in this one. She gets cut, beaten, battered. I think she gets shot in the hand by one of the little kids yep. at one point. Uh she puts the nail I think the most brutal scene for me was when she's trying to climb up that ladder from the, oh, the well yes. with all the dead bodies in it. And she like has to take her her wound from the gunshot on the hand and like put it through the nail. Oh my goodness. Yeah, while pulling it was just herself up bad. yeah
0: it's really fucked up. <laughs>
1: Ex- exactly. It was. It, I felt the same level of of cringe that I felt in that nail scene for uh, uh the movie with the creatures who can yeah, hear a everything. Yeah, Quiet Place.
0: No spoilers there, but yeah, a Quiet
1: Place. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I felt that same level.
0: Oh, absolutely. Like I felt her pain. Absolutely. She, like you said, like she gets increasingly fucked up, and I love that she was wearing the wedding dress the entire time because, you know, it turns from like this innocent white to this dark gray blood mixture just showing her fucked up progression in this hide and seek game so it was a good use of this like um contrasting how she started this in the film clean and nervous to um dirty battered bloodied and badass it was a good uh, progression there
1: one thing i also really enjoyed was the transition of um the brother daniel um so just to kind of give a recap here Samara Weaving's character, her name's Grace. Um, she marries into the family by marrying the so- one of the sons. His name is Alex. And uh, his brother is called Adam. Um, I'm sorry, he's called uh, Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. And throughout the whole thing, Daniel is supposed to be uh, kind of like a drunk, kind of like a fuck up. He uh, doesn't seem like he's too into the family tradition. And you would think that He's just going to be one of those pointless characters that's really self-loathing and going to be used for a comedic purpose. But he's actually a pretty integral character in the story. You later find out that he was the one who told his brother Alex to hide in the closet in the beginning of the film. And so you could tell that that's why he's a little bit traumatized because he saw that as a child. and He doesn't agree with the customs and traditions that his family you know, puts them through. Um, which is a great switch up for me. I love when films do that. They take a seemingly... Appearant like a seemingly useless character, and they turn him into something important. Um, and then I also love the change up with Alex, who was the the groom. Uh, he starts off trying to stop the family from executing his wife, Summer, um, Grace, and he he succeeds in the beginning. But then he has that whole one eighty moment towards the end, where he essentially gives in to the family traditions and tries to kill his wife. So I do love the switch up there with those two characters. I thought it was very well done. And to me, that's what makes a movie great is the compelling characters that go through some kind of arc.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What about you? I agree. Yeah. The inverse of the husband being the shitty person and the brother who seemingly being a fuck up is her savior. You know, like he poisons his own family. I think non-lethally, but he poisons his own family just to help his new sister-in-law escape um, because he he was already fighting those demons of like I don't want to do this but like he has seen enough where he's going to be a part of the ritual whereas Alex is sheltered from it really want to be a, par- a distant from it and they inverse the relationship where I, I think the trauma eventually broke Daniel and said you know no I am going to I want to not be a shitty person in this family <laughs> you know I'm sure there's a lot of families out there where you're like all right I'm like Maybe like some kind of the black sheep or so. And that's what Alex was. But he eventually succumbed to all that. And yeah, it was up to Daniel to, instead of protecting his brother this time, but protecting his uh, sister-in-law. So that was a pretty good switch up. I also like some of the, just the characters in general, the families, the maids and stuff. Like one of my favorite characters was that, uh, like the service guy, the butler, who just would like hum opera tunes as he's doing work so he would just hum these tunes while the main character's grace is trying to like sneak around him in the kitchen trying to avoid him it was just a good touch and it i felt like it paid off a lot because when the butler character is like chasing grace around in the woods in a car has her in the back seat and he's just blasting his opera music because we know yeah that's his jam he likes he likes his music he likes his tunes while he has a video call with the family who sees that she's about to like clock him in the back seat, It all worked pretty well to have this good like car flipping crash sh- scene as like this like opera like music is playing in the background. So this character moments like that, they kept making payoff. Um, definitely one of my favorite characters is that the butler that sings.
1: It was definitely really creepy, too. Because it almost seemed in certain parts of the movie that he was the biggest psychopath. Yeah, he just loved
0: his job. You know, he got to clean and cook and, you know, make sure everything goes well, try to hunt down the bride to kill her, you know, get breakfast prepared. He just loved his job. He just had a jolly good old time.
1: (laughs) That's a real butler right there. That's a real one. (laughs)
0: It's Um, a day one, man.
1: He was literally ride or die. Just
0: saying. Like, he. Facts. Yeah. Fucking facts.
1: I will say this: the whole. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Clue before. This almost felt. This almost felt like a darker version of Clue. Uh, the whole atmosphere, the butlers, the style of the the house. Yes, yeah, that's fair. I think that's really that. Yeah, that's the that's the atmosphere I got from this. Was that I was watching a horror version of the movie Clue. Um, and I love Clue. I thought Clue. I think Clue is it's just, good. Uh, just a great film. Yeah. It's a fun fun film. Yeah, uh, but they. There's even parts in this film that felt like Clue because of the humor that was used, and uh, I think that made me just enjoy it a little bit more, uh, because I kind of got those tones from it, like the whodunit mystery, what's gonna happen when this person enters this room thing, kind of thing. Oh man, yeah, uh, I think I think that was also another plus for me.
0: Yeah, I like the, yeah, the way that, like their dialect and the way they talk definitely sound like the characters from Clue. Um, just switched up the game from murder mystery to uh murdered our new daughter in law um also liked like a lot of the hyperboles of the rich like how they got their riches were to literally sell their soul and then to keep pretty much torturing other people outside of their family to maintain their riches, which you know very hyperbolic very like almost on the nose, but it worked so well. To say, yeah, you know, these rich people fucking suck. <laughs> and they, you know, th- like the help were the first people to go, essentially. Like all the help people kept dying, all the maids and butlers first. And they were just disposable. Like they, they literally just threw them in a hole full of dead help and other victims. Um, which like, yeah, I, I, that's what I assume rich families do. Like super rich Fucking like dynasty families from hundreds of years ago. I just assume they they kind of eat the eat the poor essentially.
1: I think the character that perfectly encapsulates what you just said too was that it was, I think it was the mother, the one who plays uh, Becky uh, Ledome. She, like the mother, is perfect for that because she like her whole mannerisms and the way she handled everything throughout the film was that I got the impression she was just aware of the terrible things they were doing, but she knew she had to be incredibly efficient at it to preserve her family. Yeah. And that carries over quite well. Cause in the beginning you see her as being the nicest one to grace, um, you know, telling her that she's happy to have her as part of the family. And that she's got, um, she doesn't use the word Motsi, but she says that she likes her. She has a good feeling about her. Um, and from there, she just seems like the really empathetic character but then when the game starts, you see the switch go off and she has no qualms with killing anybody um, or anything to make sure that her family's legacy is continued. The father does the same thing, uh, Tony, uh, played by Henry Zerny, but she really just kind of drives that point home with just the the overall actions throughout the film. She even has that really intense scene where she's talking to her son, Alex, who you know, again, tries to sabotage them and then they end up like capturing him, knocking him out and like handcuffing him to a bedpost. Um, she has this really intense convo with him about how he was always, you know, she, she always cared about him, but he, he doesn't seem to care for his family and he doesn't care if they live or die because apparently if they fail this ritual, um, they will all be killed. Um, and they have this really intense back and forth and, Alex essentially says, "If you harm if you harm my wife, I will kill you." and she's just and she's just she just looks at him coldly and says, "I don't think that's true. I don't think you're you're the type to you know put someone else before your family and you can see that switch up in her character when she says that piece of dialogue, which to me was oddly terrifying uh, in all the right ways. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say she I think that character specifically really drove what you said, you know, the whole background mythos of why they do what they do.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a survival technique. It's interesting because I feel like if she didn't draw the hiding seat card and it was just like a normal game, which I guess were options too, they could not kill anyone on the wedding night. That uh, Grace's character would have been just like the mom, I think, like if she, if she had to survive too. I can see her transformation to being like this badass leader um, of the family, too. Um, hence why she was able to, you know, stab off everyone else. Um, I also, like, the he's a minor character, but uh, I think his name is Fitch. Fitch Bradley in the movie. Um, he had, like, the crossbow. He oh, yeah. <laughs> was hilarious. He was like another guy who, yeah. was, like, married into the family. Doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't really want to do anything. He's on YouTube trying to look up how to use a crossbow. Uh, which was really hilarious. Good, like this useless family member. Like for Arrested Development fans, like the job of the family. He just he's just kind of useless. He's just there. Um, it was pretty cool. I really liked the father character. Like he seemed like like you you realize the mother is a true leader of the family, but the father you know took the reins. But he just always went off like the deep end every now and then with his emotions. And that actor just I don't know. It was, he was had like this terrifying desperation to accomplish a goal and you realize why at the end why but it was just i believed his desperation so much where i'm like oh shit like maybe they do have to do this i don't know um yeah, all these family characters are just so fun um it was just cool to see grace kind of playing off of all these different characters um <laughs> like when the boy when she was in the the um what's it like a barnyard kind of place like she was in a um this building just full of animals and a hole of dead people and she sees the kid there and the kid who escaped his bedroom to be part of the game too because he was brainwashed already just shot her in the hand and she just punches him in the fucking face which is a great reaction i love that she did that it was like that's exactly what you should do in a case if a nine-year-old shoots you (laughs) like yeah just punch him in the face um this family is crazy anyone can get these hands (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, in her case, it was like almost two hands, not quite two hands, but yeah, <laughs> hands nonetheless. Um, yeah, I will agree with you on that. I think the craziest character was the the aunt, the one who has to like kill her husband in the beginning of the film. She was just oh yes, unlikable was, from start to think. yes, she
0: was terrifying. Before we knew terrifying shit was gonna happen,
1: like just just the way she spoke to everyone, you could tell she had this air to her that she. Really thought they were all useless and they weren't devoted enough. And that really carried over. She was just the most extreme one of the family. I think to a certain extent, she enjoyed doing what she did to other people. Because at least the other characters, you know, it was out of necessity or they thought they were fulfilling some responsibility to their family. But her, I honestly thought she just enjoyed uh, the idea of killing people uh, because I think she just felt superior to everyone else and obviously you could say that she lost a piece of herself when she had to kill the only man she ever loved in the beginning of the film but still so it's like she was she was like no one no one was sad when she got what she got what she got towards the end of the film
0: (laughs) yeah no exactly I, i also think she had like the strong sense of duty like i think the women in the family besides that one crazy one who kept doing like cocaine and stuff a lot of the women in the family were like the most competent ones out of the bunch um, and I felt like yeah, she probably enjoyed a lot with like all the murderous shit she was doing, but I also felt she had like one of the strongest sense of duty too. like, she knows like, all right, to be a part of this family, this is what I have to do. And I feel like that, that can happen a lot when like you assimilate to a family because you want to fit in with your in-laws or you want to fit in with, you know, the people who are more commonly together in your family. Maybe you're the black sheep. So you, maybe you adhere to the toxic traits of your family, like, you know, murdering the new wife in the group. Um but yeah like the mother, the grandmother character or the aunt character like really honed into the duty. Like doesn't matter we got to survive. Which is kind of fair like if you married into a family and then now you'll die if you don't kill this other person. Yeah, unless you're really selfless. You're you're going to you're going to throw some axe. You're going to you know cock that gun and you know shoot some people. Which is fair. And the women of family definitely had like a strong conviction uh, to make sure Grace did not escape, but Grace is a badass too. That's why I feel like if she drew a different card, she would have been just as badass as like the aunt or the mother character because she didn't take any shit, you know? <laughs> like Once she realized what she had to do, she laced up them sneakers, uh, put some Jordans on. Like she was ready.
1: Exactly. And uh, I think that's actually a great transition to I think the strongest part of the film to me. So I know we said characters were an important part but you and i you know just to give the audience members listening just some perspective you and i keep something called a dream bank so we we take all of our dreams our ideas for films that we like to work on our screenplays and we put them in there and sometimes they're just wildly outlandish <laughs> sometimes they're they're really cool sometimes they're just so inappropriate that no one should ever see them and we just stash them away forever facts but this movie felt like something we would come up with like it was just a little bit outlandish enough, it was a nice blend of comedy. Um, and I think the reason why I say that is because the strongest part of this film to me was the lore. I love anything that elaborates on lore, gives a, a really deeper meaning to anything that the characters are doing at present. And this one just had a really cool one. And it had one where it was, um, it almost felt like that video game Cuphead. You remember Cuphead? Mm, I'm not sure. So it's just like this, this indie game that came out, I think, two years ago. And it was about this little character named Cuphead. And it was in like a 1930s cartoon style the whole time that sells his soul to the devil. And he has to go and get it back. Um, and this is exactly the tone I got for this film. was like a Cuphead live-action movie. Um, and I think the lore is just just incredible. So the lore would be that the the Ladones, they... Uh, they, the great, great grandfather meets this man named Mr. LaBelle, um, on a ship. And he used to travel around the world and collect different artifacts. And once he met this man, he would play different games with him. Um, until one day the man made him a deal. And the deal was, if you, you know, every now and then play a game in honor of me, I will bring you great success and fortune in your life. And so the man agrees and, you know, you get the whole plot of this movie where, Every time someone marries into the family, they have to hold this box, and this box will spit out a card at random. And whatever the game on the card is, you have to play it, and it has to be completed before I think midnight of the next of, of the the next day. But um, yeah, so I love how like the the background of it is just kind of mysterious and spooky. I mean, you kind of understand from the beginning that it's the devil, um, but it really pays off at the end of the film because the whole time characters are debating that same question, just like the audience members are like, well, is is this just bullshit? Is this just something they made up because they're crazy or they just want an excuse to murder people? We don't know. Um, but at the end, it becomes abundantly clear that Mr. L- or Mr. LaBelle is quite real and there are consequences for not fulfilling his game uh, the way he you know had agreed upon and i thought that was to me the most interesting part of this film was that it went from seemingly mystery thriller comedy to at the end complete supernatural gore fest with just one of the greatest payoffs i've seen in a horror film for in a long time Um, and since we're into spoiler territory i'll just say everyone blows up at the end Uh, (laughs) at the very end like Morning is there and they, they couldn't kill the girl even though they were like this close to doing it um and then they're just like oh wait nothing happened especially that one character you said you really liked who was like looking up the youtube videos he's just like oh it's so it's i knew it was bullshit all right none of this is real oh thank god well uh we still got to kill her though because obviously she's a witness to all of this uh, which is also interesting because you could see that he's, you know, he really does belong to that family because he has no qualms about killing someone to preserve his, his status. Um, but, yeah, right at that moment, the the crazy aunt tries to kill the girl and she just blows up. And there's, like, blood spattering everywhere. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know, the rest of the film, the rest of that ending, everybody, including the children... They all blow up in grotesque fashion. And you actually see Mr. LaBelle at the end kind of ch- giving a cheers to uh, Grace's character because she survived the night. And then everything just catches on fire and she just walks out of this burning building um, and just waits there, having won the game for the police to arrive and like fade to black. But I thought that was the best part of this movie, man. Like, Do you agree with me on that?
0: It was a great payoff. Because they do, like, the comedy of this movie, it was a lot of misdirection, um, a lot of funny lines from the characters. But this situational comedy was brilliant at the end where, yeah, it's dawn. They're all waiting to die or something like that. And then you as an audience, like, it's building up for them to die. And then it doesn't happen. And they could have left it just like that. And it kind of would have been, a, like, a hilarious send-off of, like, oh, no, they've done all those hor- horrendous murders for actually nothing. And that's still true. So you give that sense of like, oh, they realize, oh, what they did was all for naught and it was all just fucked up shit. Um, and then they actually die. And that, that was just a great punchline. Um, really horrific. Like even seeing like th- like the mother trying to protect her kids who then explode off screen. It's like, well, all right, that's really rough. <laughs> like these children born into this fucked up family. It's kind of like, You know, some of the themes from Hereditary won't give spoilers, but inheriting the sins and the curses from your family um, was kind of evident there. So it kind of made sense why some of these characters. Yeah, you're going to try to kill someone because you don't want your kids to explode in a bloody fashion, but they all do. And it was just great. yeah, Seeing Grace's character just having a cigarette, um, which I feel like she was trying to quit throughout the movie. But, you know, just having that last smoke. And yeah, the cops is coming and saying what happened, and she's just like, "eh, in loss," which is funny, very on the nose, but good fucking delivery, good line. Um, her just being over, being a part of a toxic ass family. Um, what's fucked up about the ending though? There's not a good way to explain what happened. There's a rich family, all blood covered everywhere, with their house burning, and she's the only survivor. There's no witnesses, no alibis to what happened. I like the sequel is just her in jail, I'm pretty sure. Um unless there's like a videotape of what it's happened. It's the courtroom there. drama. Yeah.
1: It's the sequel's a courtroom
0: drama. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, it was it was a great ending. Um there was a lot of good hyperboles again about you know, she had no family, she, you know, definitely wasn't rich growing up and she was gonna marry into a family finally. But then she realizes, you know what, it's not really worth, like, even if they accepted her, while I do think she could have been, like, this badass killer of the family, I do think, ultimately, yeah, she has this moment where she's like, fuck this fucking family. Um, And she has that comment, too, where she's, like, escaping the grounds, and she has to literally tear her body open to escape through these bars that are digging into her flesh. And there's just, like, this you know sports car driving around and she's trying to get help wave them down and then it's like they stop and then it's like kind of speed off and she's like you know like fuck these rich assholes and that's a lot of the movie is fuck these rich assholes people who literally built their fortune off the bodies of other people um so yeah this movie had like fun commentary social commentary you know it doesn't dig too deep but it says enough where it's like yeah I, i agree that's funny um yeah i I like the comments on fuck you know fuck the toxic rich fuck toxic families um I'm gonna have a smoke because this was a fucked up night um uh, you know we're not married yet but i I don't want that to necessarily be my wedding night either
1: you know um, it's 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 debatable for me you know <laughs> uh I mean I like a little thrill you know they do exactly they do say till death do us part they never say when so, you know, if it happens sooner rather than later, then that's as long as it was meant to last. Yeah, exactly. sign up that's for this. Terms
0: and conditions. Um The the Alex character <laughs> the devil actually said is that in the details, right? Yeah, he was like, uh, well, hey, you wanted to get married, and she just gets pissed off at him for <laughs> it's like like he was like, Yeah, you signed up for this. She was like, Shut the fuck up. No, I didn't. Um Yeah. I want more movies like this though. How it was like know? a How small you- budget just Crazy, like you said, something we would write because we have no stake in anything we write. It's the shit we write so far. But this movie is so fucking outlandish for something like, I think it was Fox Searchlight's pictures who distributed it. For them to invest in this at all, it's fucking awesome. It was like a $6 million budget. They made over $56 million. Um, that's a pretty good profit of $50 million right there. So I really hope this kind of spurs more movies like this. More movies that kind of combine the whole cabin in the woods sense of meta humor with something like get out which is like this weird thriller mystery kind of thing um i like those like we haven't seen too many of that this year um i'd say you know us was pretty brilliant and midsommar was pretty unique but then we had movies like it chapter two the big blockbuster horror movies that kind of wavered a bit Um, So I do think going kind of back to these smaller um, Kind of films That use a lot of like practical effects In their gore and Costume designs um, I think that's the way to go I'm I'm a big fan of movies like this
1: If there's anything it has taught me It chapter 2 I feel like when it comes to horror films Simplicity is king I feel like a lot of the times you see over the top CGI Or you see really convoluted Creatures or plots Or just like overarching mythos. It and it doesn't work because it just feels too it feels too outlandish and it it just doesn't seem grounded or believable. But with simple premises like this one, like for this film, I think when you do that for horror, it gives an opportunity to really invest in the details to make things more creepy. Um so by keeping it simple, then you can be like, okay, well then how do we really take this to the next level? Okay, well Now we're going to have really dim lighting, a really tense atmosphere. We're going to have these really compelling characters who, through just sheer dialogue um, or mannerisms, you see their personality, which makes it even more terrifying. And then we're going to have this payoff at the end with just, you know, people aren't going to expect it. Everybody's just going to just going to blow up and you're going to realize everything was true all along. So I enjoy it when horror movies keep it simple. Um, And that's Like, in my personal experience, I think the most successful horror films are the ones that can do that. Um, And like you said, use practical effects, keep things grounded. Um, So, yeah, I would love to see more films like Ready or Not in the future. And I think that because this movie was successful, we will get a chance to see more of it in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of also reminded me of uh, Green Room, Um, the movie with uh, Patrick Stewart in it. Yeah, it's just... Like, the main character is, like, she was smart. She was smart throughout this. Like, I wasn't too ahead of her at all when trying to figure out what she should do next. And that's exactly what Green Room was, where you have these characters in a really shitty, fucked-up situation. Use a lot of practical effects to make these gory moments really pop. And, that, yeah, I think this film um, really succeeded at that, too. I um, mean, yeah, good blend, get out, Green Room vibes. Uh, don't Breathe had kind of the feel there trying to escape this place um, yeah those those are good genres so we are getting a few of those throughout the years but um, there's also a lot of like remakes and King adaptions which some I'm looking forward to like Doctor Sleep for example but the smaller movies like this you know the ones that you make for single digit million dollars like this was six million dollars um, yeah definitely the way to go uh bravo to adam brody he was great in this uh samara weaving i have to watch the babysitter now because she was such a fucking badass in this one um it'd be interesting to see her play the the villain i think in that movie so that'd be interesting
1: yeah she's the antagonist for that one but i will say this man that actually brings up a good point um i just want to let it be clear for some of our audience members here that this is a spoiler moment for the babysitter so if you don't want to be spoiled you haven't seen the babysitter don't listen unfortunately randy you have to listen i'll just not this listen you also. just keep talking yeah, no. uh,
0: <laughs> go for it
1: <laughs> but uh what it, this this is not a real thing like it's a it's a completely different director but in my head canon i just it just makes so much sense um in the end of this film um ready or not you see that she's leaving the mansion and it's on fire and obviously she knows that they actually sold their soul to the devil for wealth and power and throughout the film, you actually see like a bunch of libraries with different books in them. Um, and it's only logical to believe that, you know, having sold their soul to the devil, they understand certain things about the dark arts or the supernatural that they would have a book on it. Well, the babysitter, the whole premise is that this little boy, his babysitter, is a witch who uses this book of rituals and spells to sacrifice young children and people in order to uh, make packs with, with demons and the devil to get something, whether it be youth, power, um, athleticism, strength, whatever it may be. Um, so I just like to believe that at the end of Ready or Not, Samara Weaving's character, Grace, having gone through everything she did and having that nod to Mr. LaBelle at the end, ends up stealing one of the books from the mansion and just becomes a babysitter and performing rituals to stay young or, you know, have power. It just works so well, and anybody listening to this, try it. Just, just, just think about that for a second. If you haven't seen the babysitter, go watch it. But it just it makes sense in all the best ways. So my head canon tells me that there's nothing that you can do or say to disprove it, uh, even though it's not a thing. The babysitter verse. Um, but it's it's just exactly. It's just like it's all the same universe in my mind. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a that was a fun little thing to imagine uh, when comparing those two films to one another.
0: Yeah. No. Fair enough. I think I don't know how they would do with this film, but there's probably potential for like spinoffs and really milking this shit, uh, which I don't necessarily want them to do. But I mean, they have a whole I don't know. I felt like they had a multitude of games. A lot of them were regular games, but I feel like there might be more to than just hiding seek being the uh, killer game they have to do. So I, I wonder if there's like a room for spinoffs where there's like different rich families or different families in different situations who also have to do this and they can just make three or four of these films if they wanted to i don't really want them to i think it's good as an original solo movie we don't need ip for everything but this is an open enough concept where they can just milk the fuck out of this they can have a they can have a tag one they can have a hopscotch one a jumping rope one maybe one of those hand games where it's like you know you have to do the sequence or some shit happens like they can go all out with this um which is cool for a concept to be one able one to spin off like, shit if they wanted to
1: yeah just imagine one of the cards is you have to play pong with everclear mm, um that yes. will be a riot that's a good time <laughs> for 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 everyone involved. i think so yeah I- <laughs> everyone dies at the end of that movie
0: <laughs> As everyone does spoiler alert um uh, they all explode that's what everclear grain alcohol does um I, actually they should play true. one with, uh, with Uno because I feel like that t- that game was one of the most intense games as a kid just wondering who has to draw fours and shit and it's like like, oh I'm going to win like now you're going to die and then you're like now reverse back to you and then they die you know you can get, you can I get think, pretty dramatized I think the
1: with issue with, yeah I think the issue with games like Uno is they bring out the most spiteful exactly. the spitefulness in you there's inherent drama because and hatred the whole point is to yeah I lost a lot of friends actually a lot of family members to Uno <laughs> Um, that's why we don't play it anymore. But it just it just brings out it honestly brings out the worst in you, which is funny because it's a kid's game. <laughs> um, but yeah, it the spite is real. It it doesn't even matter. Like the whole it's it's int- it's amazing when a game can can switch up your mindset because the point of a game is to win. But what I feel like when it comes to Uno. The whole thing about it is, I just don't want them to win. I don't care if I win. I just don't want them to win. I feel like that's the mindset there.
0: Oh, for sure. It's, you know, like, fuck you. How dare you have one card left? Everyone, fuck him up. Um, so, t- yeah, take that concept, add in some death, and yeah, yeah then you got to spin off right there. Uno, there can there be go. only
1: one. The, that's the written or not sequel. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, man, I'm a little, I'm a little sad, man, because I had that amazing pun earlier in this episode about the devil being in the details. Um, I thought it was amazing, but just it didn't even get a chuckle. I'm just saying, it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> hey, the important I mean, thing is that you enjoyed
0: it. All right, as, as long as you did, it <laughs> doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> as long as you had fun, that's all that matters.
0: <laughs> Have a good time, man. Have a good time. Um. Uh, yeah. If, so but one one last yeah, go thing. Go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I was going to ask like. Um, It's hard to give ratings to movies because I hate because, hey, we're recording, so this is going to stick forever. But if you had to give a numeric rating to this movie, what do you think you can conjure up? What's your uh, 1 to 10 scale rating for this?
1: So I'm a firm believer in always comparing movies to movies that are similar to it. And I know we've mentioned a few already, like uh, Get Out or Clue or, you know, obviously not Clue Clue because that's a comedy. But when you compare it to other horror films... Um, I would say I can honestly give this movie, um, I would give it an eight out of ten, eight out of 10 for me, uh, which is pretty high, especially for horror, but there was just something really entertaining and fun about this movie. It didn't feel shallow in any way. It did everything you want to see for a horror film and it did everything you want to see for a screenplay that deals with horror. Um, you have one initial belief, it comes into question and then. At the end, you get a result that is completely unexpected and throws you for a loop. So I think this checks off all the boxes for what I like in horror films. Uh, one thing I would have liked to have seen more of is maybe perhaps a little more attention to some of these characters who, who did feel a little uh, out of the loop compared to the main ones. Um, but that's a little gripe. Uh, maybe I would have liked some more details on Mr. Labelle, But again, that was a little gripe. Um, so for me, 8 out of 10 is a pretty solid score. Uh, one of my favorites for sure, Pleasant Surprise of the Summer. What about you?
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. I think I'd give it like a, maybe like a solid seven and a half out of 10. Um, I don't have too many qualms with this movie. I think it's well-paced. It's a tight 90 minutes, honestly. Um, it was enjoyable. It was an enjoyable film. But when you, like you mentioned, comparing it to other films similar to it, I think the epitome of horror comedy for me is cabin in the woods which came out you know maybe half a decade ago or so um i thought that movie brilliantly subverted the genre um was hilarious really rewatchable had really deep interesting outlandish lore um and it had some good horror moments so i think the only only thing this movie might have lacked was maybe more horror moments this is more of a it had a lot of slasher thriller elements but i do think for it to exceed in the genre it needs to be Maybe a t- like a tad bit more thrilling and scary. Um, but the comedy was all there. So I give it a seven and a half. Not too much negative things to say about the movie. Um, but yeah, a seven and a half for a horror comedy. That might as well be a 10 out of 10.
1: Yeah. And and I, like I said, like we both agreed, we would love to see more of stuff, more of these kinds of films in the future. And as long as these are successful, I think we will get a solid chance to see it. Yeah. Plus I uh, think but I think we have closing. something
0: with the Una movie. We gotta throw that in the Dream Bank. So we're gonna work on that Una movie. <laughs> ASAP. Uh
1: you know what, man? Let's do it. There's there's just like way crazier things in that dream bank, anyways. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just in general. There's so like movies actually-
0: about a magic eight ball from Blumhouse, I think they're producing in a couple of years. They're they're trying to dig deep in oh, the goodness. inspirations here.
1: They're really they're really aiming at- Aiming pretty low for some of these. But, uh, you know, whatever, man. That, that just means like our movie is going to take off one day. It'll get picked up by Blumhouse and, or Netflix. Um, Netflix, your green light. Your green light. But I believe it. I will say, closing thoughts on this. I just, I think one of the, the other things I really enjoyed about this movie was just the, the way I can see it working in real life. I always enjoy when I can kind of watch a movie and be like oh yeah I can kind of believe that I can see that happening in the real world um, how many board game companies are out there that you're just like man how many people are still buying board games that they're still in business and have all this money like Parker Brothers for instance or Monopoly for Monopoly or like the people who make Ouija boards all that stuff like you would think that that's not a lucrative business anymore but hey maybe just maybe you know they sold their soul to the devil to uh, have all this vast wealth and power um, so I always enjoy when when a movie can make me kind of do that, maybe reflect a little bit on some real life stuff. So, yeah, just uh, just another little goodie from this movie that I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, that's fair. You know, I I don't necessarily believe in a lot of supernatural stuff, but I will believe that families have sold their souls successfully to some kind of entity to keep their, um, you know, 200 year old board game business going. Like I have friends who, you know, buy board games and a lot, but. It's not really like a return purchase. Um, So, yeah, they're probably just killing people out there, man. So what we're trying to say is if you're going to get married, just make sure they're not a group of killers um, if you can. Um, Otherwise, make sure. Be ready with them hands. Just be ready with them hands. Um, But I think that'll uh, that'll do it for our review of Ready or Not. Thumbs up all around. And uh, tune in next time. I don't even know what we're talking about next, but probably with something other spooky shit that we still want to talk about. Um, if you want to find more of our work, you can follow us at Um, Follow us at After The Act on any podcast you listen to platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, etc. If we're not on your favorite platform, let us know. We'll get on there. You can contact us at After the Act Podcast at gmail.com. And um, yeah, watch out for toxic families out there be ready you, with them hands
1: but at the same time you need to follow us and join our family believe me we're just as fucked up if not more fucked up but at least you'll have fun i
0: promise that's you. that's all that matters baby um, ATA, yeah. family <laughs> ata family for life ata family for life
1: it's time for hide and seek run 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 time to run and hide run 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 and now i'm going to find you scurry off into the darkness hurry i'm behind you don't you speak hide and seek tiptoe to the cellar or crawl under your bed anywhere you fled i am going to find you You. Run, run,
0: run, creep up on my brain. Run, 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 stalk the night away. Scuttle off into the night, but what'll be behind you? Don't you speak? Hide